Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Group Text. My guest today is Sarah Drew, whom you best know from her 10 unbelievable Season run is Dr. April Kepner on Grey's Anatomy. She has appeared in movies such as Radio with Cuba Gooding Jr., The Baxter with the amazing Paul Rudd and Elizabeth Banks, and the comedy Mom Nights Out with Patricia Heaton, where she plays a mother who, and I quote, just needs a fucking second. (laughs) Is that too much to ask? As it turns out, yes, it is. Uh, Sarah has appeared in the TV shows Supernatural, Everwood, Cruel Summer, and Mad Men, just to name a few. And the most exciting, her latest series, Amber Brown, a delightful, I just felt like saying that word, coming-of-age <laughs> family show now streaming on Apple TV. And soon you'll be able to see Sarah in Reindeer Games, a feature film she not only stars in, but love this, Women Empowerment Produced. Please welcome Sarah Drew. Hey, Sarah. Hi, how are you? Good. Nice to see you. <laughs> nice to see you. I have so many questions, but I, I always like to start at the beginning because it it's fascinating to me how people honestly begin. So you were still in high school on Long Island and mm-hmm. you started doing voiceover work. How old were you when that started? Um, I was in uh, high school, I think. Um, I want to say probably probably eighth or ninth grade. I don't remember exactly the date that it started. I had gotten uh, hooked up with a manager through an acting class, and some of the other kids in the acting class um, had this manager, and then the manager just started sending me out for some things when I was in early high school and that, yeah, that was my intro. I did, I did Daria for, um, throughout high school and throughout college, actually. Really? How did you come up with the voice or was it just your voice? Well, the, the funny thing is that I was originally just doing a guest spot. Um, I was playing a little girl that I think Daria was babysitting and I had to sing this song. I can hope and I can dream and I am full of self-esteem or something like that. Anyway, it was this ridiculous little like eight-year-old. So I was doing a younger voice for for the eight-year-old. But then the person that they had cast as this character, Stacey Rowe, fell out and couldn't continue on the series. And so they asked me to take over the role. So that's why I wound up on that show for, for several seasons is because I did a little tiny guest spot and then it turned into another role that was lasting. What was the voice? I honestly, Stacy was just me, but just like, like a little bit, um, really upset and nervous all the time. So she was like constantly on the verge of crying because everything was really, really stressful and upsetting. Which as a teenager, not that hard to channel. No, no, definitely not. But it's funny if I if, if I go back and tr- I remember I had to reprise the role of the little girl 
um, several years into the show and I couldn't find the voice in my own voice of the little girl again, because my voice had changed because I'd gone through so many changes as I was getting older and becoming a woman, you know, it was very, very interesting. That whole journey. Um, do your kids, did your kids ever watch Daria? No, they have not seen any of Daria. I think there's still some themes in Daria that I'm not quite ready for them. It was more of a more of an adult show. Um, and I, I just feel like I need to screen it all first. And I don't I don't know when the last time is that I've seen that show. So I'd have to go back and look at it and then see which ones I could show them. Okay, do you think they would recognize your voice? Oh, totally. I think they would. I I think that they would hear it. But, but I, but I, but I, you know, who knows? Wouldn't that be, it's going to be an interesting experiment. Yeah, totally. Um, something else I found really interesting, um, cause I was from LA, my parents moved here when I was three and I got shipped back East to school. Yeah. You went from Long Island to University of Virginia. And when you were there, it was not, I mean, now it's like everybody wants to go to UVA, but when you went not many kids from the Northeast went South. Yeah. For yeah. School. It was much more of a Southern school. Yeah. How, what was that like coming from the Northeast? Cause I know coming from Los Angeles and even though I'd spent a lot of time back East being thrust into university of Pennsylvania and Penn, which was such a Northeast school. Yeah. Was a bit of a culture shock. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, you, we lived the first six years of my life in Charlottesville, Virginia. So we still had family friends that were there that I was immediately sort of welcomed into the community. Um, and my parents had lived there for, for six years and my mom had gone to UVA for grad school. So I had a lot of, and we'd still do, we'd, ha, we'd been doing family vacations with some of the families from Charlottesville for a while. So it felt kind of like going home. And for me, I, I don't know that I ever really felt like a New Yorker. You know, I, I always kind of like liked living in the suburbs. And so it didn't feel crazy different. I mean, other than the fact that there were some really strong Southern accents in the house that I lived in. Yeah. Well, and, I was going to say, and very different clothing. Yes. But at that point in my life, I had never even thought about clothing. I never thought about fashion. I didn't own a curling iron or a blow dryer or a stitch of makeup until I, until the end of college, when I was launching into my career for real. And I started meeting with agents and managers and they're like, you need to figure this out. <laughs> <laughs> I always love knowing, do you remember your freshman roommate? Yes. Her name is Eunice Lee. And she was, uh, we, we, we worked, I, we worked really well together because I had, a, I spent a lot of time outside of the, I was doing theater and then I was at classes and I was always doing social things. And, um, and we didn't really forge a very strong friendship, but she was quiet and a good roommate and we both respected each other and it respected each other's space. And so it was actually a really good scenario for both of us. Yeah. I ended up in a single, thank God. <laughs> being an only child. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, can you imagine having to dive into living with someone in the same room after growing up completely 
with all autonomy over your personal space, that would be that would be a shock. But then I lived in a quad sophomore year. Yeah. And then in I, for my junior and senior year, I lived in an 11 bedroom house with three bathrooms. And it yeah. was a couple of girls and a bunch of my guy friends. And I remember so clearly freaking out at the guys on my floor about every, like being clean in the bathroom. Oh, to- I don't think I could have lived with any guys. I lived in a house of girls. There were 18 of us living in one house. Wait, was, it a, year. was it a sorority house? It wasn't. It was near sorority row, but it was a whole bunch of girls that just all wanted to live together. So we kind of made our own sorority, but, right. it, but it was not in the Greek system at all. But I had the same roommate second, third, and fourth year. And who, we were each other's maids of honors in our weddings and stuff like that. That's so sweet. Yeah. I love that. And my guy, my friends from the house I lived in are still my closest friends. Yeah. Isn't that yeah, interesting? And that doesn't happen to everybody. No, no. I, I have a few, I don't have any real contact anymore with any of my high school friends, but I have like a group of four girls that I did theater with. Actually, my roommate was not one of them that I did theater with. She was in another sort of community that I was a part of. Um, but I'm I'm still in touch with her. And then I'm I'm in touch with these three other girls, or four other girls, um, very closely in touch with them. And they're the ones that I did theater with in college. Isn't that awesome when those friendships stay? Yes. Oh my, it's there is nothing like history in friendship and longevity. I mean, we just, we're constantly, especially in, in, in our industry, we're constantly meeting new people mm-hmm. and there are these little spurts of relationships that like feel really close for a couple of weeks and then you move on to the next thing. And, you know, you may work with one or two of them again down the road, several years down the road, but in terms of really being known and really belonging to a group where you can be exactly who you are, we, I got, I reconnected with those four girls on a weekly like Zoom over COVID and it became our like all of us looked forward to that hour and a half that we had on Wednesdays at 530 where we'd get our glass of wine and come out into our private space away from our families and that was like a sacred hour and a half of just this is what is happening in our lives what we're going and and we kind of as the world opened back up again, we've lost that. And I miss that because we were just like too busy to set that aside. Um, but I miss it. It was a very sweet thing. Yeah, we had Thursday evening cocktails with a whole bunch of us on like, someone would put out the invitation each week on our massive group. And then whoever yes. showed up, showed up. Oh, that's so fun. But you guys sound like you're nice. We were a bunch of snarky, <laughs> overeducated <laughs> assholes trying to always one up each other. So I think the vibe was a little bit different. (laughs) Might've been a little different. We did a lot of like crying and sharing vulnerabilities. Oh no, that's what not, not at all what ours was. (laughs) Um, One thing I, another thing I found really interesting was literally right after college, you started working. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was so wild because so I have I have my mom to thank. Um, She encouraged me to do this musical theater program in New York City in the summer between my uh, 
second and third year of college. And I discovered doing that musical theater program that I was not cut out for musical theater. Just <laughs> decide, just discovered that that was not what I should be doing. Although I now my son is really into musical theater now. And now I'm like getting reinvigorated. I wish I had trained more. I wish I'd done more dance. I wish I'd done more vocal training. I wish that I'd been able to have that in my wheelhouse. But I will say doing that program that my mom encouraged me to do is what started my whole career. And it was because we had a casting director from Bernie Telsey Casting come to do a masterclass with us one day. And thus far in the camp, all in the summer program, all we'd ever been working on were songs. We'd not worked on any monologues. I'm a much stronger actor than I am a singer. And I was in the bathroom about to go into this masterclass and made a split second decision to pull out a monologue that I just had in my back pocket that I just knew backwards and forwards instead of doing two songs. I was the only one in the class that did a monologue instead of a song for this casting director. And it was the best decision I've ever made in my life because she saw something in me. And then they started that office, started bringing me in for auditions. And the third audition they brought me in for was to play Juliet in a production of Romeo and Juliet at the McCarter theater in Princeton, New Jersey, which was then I got the role and I did this play um, the summer before in the first five weeks of my fourth year of college. And in fact, I, I at first turned down the audition opportunity because it conflicted with my fourth year of college. Yeah. And who, and no I, one wants to miss senior year. No. And Will Cantler, who I think still works at Bernie Telsey Casting, called me and said, if I have to drive to Virginia and put you in my car and drive you to New York to audition for this, I will do that because this is not to be taken lightly. Come to New York and audition for this. And I did. And my you know, drama department um, advisor allowed me to do the show as an independent study. So I got three credits to do it by keeping a journal and, and all these things. And um, I was reviewed in the New York Times and in Variety. And as a result, I had agents and managers calling me. So I was all set up with my agent, uh, basically, as I was entering into my fourth year of college and started auditioning for a few things while I was finishing college. But then, yeah, I booked a radio just a couple months after graduating. Do you, do you look back and you, you've got so many friends, you know, so many people in the business and you hear these stories like, oh, and I waited tables and this and you're like, mm, I can't relate. But do you realize, especially in hindsight, how unusual your story is? Oh. It's bananas. It is, there's so many moving pieces. It felt very serendipitous, um, blessed. I mean, whatever word you want to use, but just it felt like all the pieces fell at exactly the right thing. The split second decisions that were made to lead to the next thing. And I mean, I just, it was, it's a Cinderella story. It's not, it's, and I was fully expecting to be walking into waitress actress thing. That was, that was my plan. I was just like, I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to try to get myself in front of people. Um, I was fully ready to do whatever it took. And then it just was sort of like, I mean, thank you, mom. Thank you. God, thank you. You must've been really (laughs) exceptional in a previous life. That's all I'm going to say on that. (laughs) 
you must like you've evolved like if you you know through all the different levels. Yeah. I mean <laughs> Get like, ready. I'm just totally, I know, what's the next life going to be? <laughs> I don't, you'll probably be back to being an amoeba. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about your latest series, Amber Brown, and it is doing great. And from so many, I have a son, so not our wheelhouse, um, but from all my friends with daughters, it's become something they watch together. Yeah. Oh, that's so nice. Did, what drew you to it? The script. I mean, really, Bonnie Hunt wrote the most incredible script. And I, when I read that pilot episode, um, I just I was so struck by a few things. I, I found it incredibly charming, but also moving. I thought that there was so um, there's this heartbeat of love and kindness that is sort of in every interaction you're watching people who are real humans doing their best sometimes failing but always committed to repairing and that to me is that is my whole philosophy as a parent myself so i felt very connected to sarah brown and and what i really loved about the show too is i loved the um the vulnerability with which Amber does these, these direct to camera video diaries where you really see the inner workings, all the vulnerabilities, all the struggles. She's saying all the things that kids are sometimes afraid to say out loud to their parents or to their friends that they sometimes just bottle up. And then it comes out in all kinds of different ways. And here we have this beautiful model of, of expressing all of that stuff, of getting it out on the table and wondering and asking the big questions. And after walking through this pandemic with my children, I, I have, I mean, they asked some big, deep, heavy, sometimes very dark questions during, during that time, especially my son who's older just in trying to wrap their brains around injustice in the world and the, the giant that is COVID that is so out of our control and, and the monotony of what can we even look forward to? What is life if there's nothing to look forward to because we don't know when this is going to end? I mean, they're just big questions. And I haven't seen another show where a child is exploring those big questions. And I think they're doing it more than we all realize. So I, I just, it all resonated with me in a really powerful way. Um, and I was, and I was so excited to work with Bonnie Hunt also. I, I'm a huge Bonnie Hunt fan. Yes. Huge. Me too. How old are your kids? 10 and 7. So yeah, you, the 10 year old, I assume is the one that was really asking those tough questions. Yes. Yes. And it's come out with my 7 year old in, in other ways, in like anxieties that have cropped up, like I'm a, a worry about is my are, is what my mom or dad going to pick me up on time at the end of school? And it's like, we've never once been late, but it's, you just, we have been anxious for two and a half years and so have our children, you know, and we sometimes go, oh, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. They're resilient, but really they're going through really big things and oftentimes don't know how to articulate those things. So having words to articulate it for them, spoken from the mouth of this gorgeous, brilliant, vulnerable, artistic, 
powerhouse that is Carson Rose is it's just it's a gift. I think it's a gift to the world. It's a gift to kids. And I just watched the whole series with my kids, and I spent most of the time just watching them watch the show. You know, they're laughing hysterically at times. They just they have certain characters that they're in love with. They um, my son just keeps saying, "Mommy, oh my god, this is so relatable." Everything about this is so relatable. And then he says, I was like, it makes me so happy that you enjoy this show so much. And he goes, somebody not enjoy this show. You'd have to be a pretty dark person to not enjoy this show. <laughs> oh, you are going to have your hands full when he's a teenager. If he's already Woo! using those kinds of words. <laughs> he's very, very articulate. This kid it's has always been. It's fun. So you're married, two children. Amber is, she's, she's single and struggling with things. Now, I was a single parent raising a son and trying to date. And it's yeah. incredibly complicated. Did you like have to go and talk to friends who were in the situation? I mean, how did you find the character and the sort of stress and angst that comes with it when your home life is so, so traditional. Yeah. Um, well, I have so many people in my life that are either in the middle of divorce, have just gotten, you know, have divorces just been finalized, have started dating. It's awful. Um, it's awful. Fa fam yeah. It's oh, awful. I know. No, I've heard all of the stories. I have been the sounding board for so many horror stories and so much like despair, certainly despair at times, but then also the excitement and the newness. I have someone in my life who um, is very, very close to me who went through a, a very difficult divorce recently and is on the other side of it and has two kids and they went through it also. And, um, and I heard every piece of it all the way through that journey. So for me, in a lot of ways, this show is a, is a love letter to that person. Um, be, because now that person is in a new relationship that's delightful and beautiful and vibrant and hopeful. And all of that was happening while I was shooting the show. So I had, I had a very clear visceral taste of what that experience was. The, all the custody stuff, the, there's a scene where, you know, when, when her ex come moves back into town and she has Amber go to his house for the night and she has her sister come over and she just like, this is so hard. I, this house, it feels so empty and so quiet and so sad. And do you think she misses me when, when she's over there? And all of those questions are things that I have heard this friend talk to me about, uh, in great detail. So for me, it was, it's a, it's a love letter for all of, all of the kids and parents going through huge upheavals and trying to navigate them and figure out how to love each other well in the process. So let's, let's talk a minute about grays. Cause I'm always fascinated when someone has to join a cast of an already successful show and with Grey's Anatomy was already having drama behind the scenes. I mean, it's like, how, first of all, how did you get the job? Sure. Yeah, it's actually a funny story because it's similar to the Daria situation. I, I had just done... Um, a, uh, two episodes on private practice. So that's how I had met 
the Shondaland world. And then Shonda had cast me in a pilot that didn't get picked up um, called Inside the Box. And I had shot that. And a couple months after that, um, she had actually a different role in mind for me, which was the character that George saves when he gets hit by the bus at the end of season five. And so that character is in the the finale of season five and the premiere of season six, but she's not a doctor. There's no chance for her to come back into the world. And I couldn't do it because I was currently shooting something else. This is another serendipitous kind of situation. So I, and that was just an offer. That was Shonda knew my work and offered me this two episode arc. Couldn't do it come to a couple months later and they're like, we have this other role to only, it's again, it's a two episode arc. Do you want to come and play for two episodes? I knew walking in, my character was going to get fired. My character got fired the second episode. So I went off, I did my two episodes and then I left and I went to do a bunch. I was doing Mad Men and Glee at the time. I did a bunch of other stuff. And I got a call from my team the morning after that episode aired saying they want to bring you back and it might turn into a series regular. And I was like, what? Exactly. Huh? (laughs) What? Um, So, yeah. So then all of the rest of season six was basically every episode was an audition. I'm scouring the pages going, did they give me anything interesting to do so that I could show what I could do? I hope I can prove to them that I should stay. Um, And it was just that whole season where I didn't know if I was going to stay or not. And then um, and then I got picked up to become a series regular. So crazy. And you're 10 years. Yeah. Well, nine years, although I did go back the last two seasons just for a little quick, but nine full years on the show. Yeah, I know. It's bananas. It's not something that happens anymore in this industry. No, not at all. And like I said, you walked in to sort of the tail end of a lot of drama. I mean, there's been books written about the Grey's Anatomy drama. Yet it was still a very tight-knit group, but it was very, very clicky. There is, how did you negotiate that? Because you are so sweet and so open and cheerful and all these things. And you walk into, don't, if you talk to this person, you can't talk to that person. <laughs> and if you hang out with them, you can't hang out with them. I mean, it was like, it's, it, it, from what I, I've heard, it sounds like bad high school. Well, it's interesting because that is what, that's what everybody told me I was walking into, but my experience of it wasn't that. I think you kind of, not always, but you have the power to kind of create your own experience in a lot of places, I think. I walked in with a lot of enthusiasm and joy and gratitude for this opportunity. And the people that also had that gravitated toward me and the people that didn't, didn't gravitate toward me. So I just kind of, you know, some of the people like Sada Ramirez was the first person to be extremely welcoming to me. She made a big to do for my 30th birthday. She like made a point to be like, you are my friend. I'm taking you under my wing. And it was such a gift. Like they were so kind to me. Um, and, and again, I didn't experience the clicky drama. I just sort of stayed in, in my lane and stayed in my world and did my work and 
hung out with the the people who wanted to hang out with me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it was good. It was great. I was so excited to be there. I was such a huge fan of the show, and I was so excited for the work that they were giving me to do. That they were writing for me. That, that you know, that was it was it was great. So on Grays, um, you went through a number of husbands <laughs> and romantic interests. <laughs> I, I mean, it's always hard for someone who's married to, you know, have a partner having to watch them be intimate or fake intimate with another person. You ran through them. I mean, well, how did you, you keep? Know. How did you keep coming home and go, honey? Guess what? New boyfriend this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. I my husband proposed to me while I was playing Juliet which is probably the most romantic character in the history of romance. Yes. Um, But she dies. So not a, it's not a happy, not a happy ending. But it is a lusty, high energy, high intensity, romantic thing that I was doing every day, every show for several weeks, you know, of my life. And so in a lot of ways, and my husband's not in the industry, but it's, it's, he knew what he was getting himself (laughs) into in terms of, um, in terms of these, these fake relationship, I would, relationships I'd have to foster in, in the, in the longevity of my career. And, you know, it's interesting because the first several years of our marriage, uh, which is also the first several years of my career, we had to go to therapy. We had to figure out rules for boundaries. I had to figure out how to navigate the the weirdness of how showmances happen all the time, right? So then how do I protect my relationship and my marriage while also maintaining chemistry on set with the person that I need to have chemistry with? Um, and what does all of that look like? And I, you know, there... We had to come up with rules in order to protect my heart and protect my husband's heart, but also protect my career. And it's and it's worked. I mean, it's a weird thing we do. It's a weird thing we do. But but if he proposed to you while you were playing Juliet, so he was like your college sweetheart. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. We met when I was 18. We were working at a little youth camp, uh, a, a winter like ski camp. Um, the winter break of my first year of college, we met. And then he lived in Boston while I was in school in Virginia. And he started writing me handwritten letters. He wooed me for eight months through handwritten letters. Oh my God. And then in a letter asked for my email address. And then we started emailing, but that was like six months into handwritten letters. And then in an email asked for my phone number after several more weeks of just emailing every day. Then we, then he called me for the first time. The first time he called me was like, months and months and months after we'd been corresponding like old timey people. And then, um, yeah. And then, so he called me and then on the phone call said, could I come out and visit? And he came out to visit and he came to visit my whole family because I was on summer break with my whole family living in my family house. And he stayed in the little base, the weird basement guest room. And we took the train into New York and sat in the TKTS lines and got tickets to see the play wit um, with Judith Light. We went out to Brilliant. dinner. We, Brilliant play. 
brilliant play. Brilliant. And I knew that I was in love when I looked over at him and there were tears streaming down his face. I was like, a man who can feel and is moved by good art. Yes. Um, and we we rode the train home and he held my hand on the train and we, we got back to my parents' house and he kissed me outside the bathroom. Oh. And that was it. it. It was so we were long distance our whole relationship um, until my until after Romeo and Juliet, he moved to D, he moved to Charlottesville to uh, to do a job while we were planning our wedding. That is so romantic. Did he have good penmanship? He does have good penmanship. I made him as our wedding. My wedding gift to him was a book of all of our letters and emails of, of our whole sort of courtship. Is this- um, I, I mean, it's funny you call it a courtship because that's kind of what it was. He was, he was very careful with everything. He was really careful. He was already out of college and he did not want to steal my college experience. He didn't want to be that older guy that came in and deprived me of my, the fullness of my college experience. So he was very careful in everything that, that he did in the way that he pursued me is he's just such a good, he's such a good man. You brought up showmance, which I don't think people really know. (laughs) How do you balance it? How have you guys kept that, that you, again, that you have your life and your heart and his heart but you still have to, flirt's the wrong word, but you still have to keep chemistry with someone on set. How do you do that? I mean, there's, there, there are some practical things like at the early in my career, if I was on location, I thought it was perfectly fine to run lines with my co-star in somebody's hotel room. Right. Right. And I never crossed, I've never crossed any lines, but it's just doesn't, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good for my husband. It's just, so we have a, we have a, a rule where like, if, if I'm on location somewhere, we find, we find a meeting room if we need to run lines or we go to a, a restaurant to run lines there, but there's no ever being alone in a closed off space. So that's, that's like a practical thing that I, that is just a, a way to protect everybody's hearts and, and set clear boundaries for the person that I'm working with. Um, and then, uh, and then the other big thing that, that was really important to Peter early on is when I would go off on location, it was like going to summer camp. You know, you're working with all of these new people. Everybody's on their best behavior. Everybody's beautiful. Everybody's, you know, shiny and charismatic because those are the people that get cast in the movies. You know, it's just, everything is heightened and nobody has the time to see anybody's shit. You know, so all you're seeing is this fantastical version, heightened camp experience of of other people so excited to be doing this thing that they love so much. Right. And then your spouse is back at home handling all the nitty gritty life junk, changing diapers and and changing diapers. Yeah. And like, and we didn't have kids. We had nine years. So we figured this stuff out before we had kids. But so, so we didn't have kids yet, but he, it would be so lonely for him because I would just disappear. Right. And so one of the things that we um, are committed to is just checking in on, on one another. Through, me specifically making a point to check in multiple times a day, just to be just a quick little text. I'm thinking of you. I love you. A little picture from the set. Or what, you know, like little things like that so that he's welcomed into the experience. And it's not like I've just 
escaped my life to go do something fun. You know, it's, it's like, no, we're integrating this. This is work. This is home. I think another big thing for me that just in the, in the process of being in this industry for so long and having and doing the whole camp like thing over and over and over again, is you, you begin to see it for what it is. It, it, it loses its like heightened. Um, I was just recently when Outer Banks first came out, I was like w- looking at all of those kids on the on their Instagram feeds. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're having the time of their lives. They're on this show together. They're all obsessed with each other. They're best friends forever. They're no, probably they're not. Tattoos. <laughs> no, but, they're yeah, not. But, but here's the thing. Like, I, that's the perception. Right. And right. I as a person who's 20 years older was like, yeah, I remember what that euphoric feeling was, but none of it's real. It's all false intimacy because you don't really know each other and it's going to be over really soon, you know, and you don't see it when you're in it. But now that I have that perspective, when I'm in something like that, I'm like, I'm, I'm at work and I have my whole life and I'm my kids and I have my husband and I have my community and I have my neighborhood and I have all of these things that I'm so tethered to emotionally and spiritually that I can, I can, I can see what it all is. That's real. This is fake. It's delightful and fun, but it's fake. And I know that now. Um, but it was hard to understand that when I was younger. Speaking of real, um, you got to work with Jesse Williams. And a video of him naked on stage was leaked before the Tonys. Have you seen this? And have you seen that before? Because you guys, were you impressed as everybody else? (laughs) I don't feel like I should comment on any of that. I'm going to leave that to the masses to have their field day with it. All I can say is I went to see his show and it was amazing. He and and also the other thing that I will say about that whole experience is everybody's naked on that show. In that show, you know, you you get I mean there were like 12 guys standing for like 20 minutes naked showering before Jesse's scene comes out. So it's you, you don't it's not as shocking as every everybody's made such a big to do about it, but it's just part of the show, you know. But he um, is and- so extraordinarily handsome. <laughs> and, you know, you're like, it's just an odd way to see someone that you've worked with so many years. Suddenly you're like, <laughs> wow, <laughs> this is awkward. Well, I mean, awkward. Yeah, eyes up here. Eyes up here. It's a little <laughs> awkward. It was. Yes, it's a, it's a little awkward, but. Did but you- also just, I mean, I, I found it to be brave, you know, that all of those guys had chosen to do this show where they have to be so exposed. I mean, that was my main reaction to it was like, that is very brave. And I don't think I could do that. There's there, It's one thing about like doing nudity in a closed set with cameras and, you know, yeah, and it's inti- and, to and, be- and, and intimacy coordinators and intimacy yes, garments that, that nobody sees. <laughs> exactly. It's another thing to just be fully in front of a massive audience of people and, and lay it all out there. I mean, it's, that's takes a lot of courage. So I applaud him for, for doing that. Not well, to mention the, like the need that they all have to have to like stay in shape 
Cause like, I, I mean, if I had, I had to be in a bathing suit in my movie that I just shot and I was so stressed out about what I was going to look like in the bathing suit. And that's still some pretty significant, significant coverage there. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm just thinking about when you go backstage to say, hi, you have to be so careful with your words because everything could be taken in a different way. But again, that's my comedic brain going, nice work. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> wow, you're fit. I couldn't take my eyes off you. You owned the stage. I mean, what do you I mean? Yeah, I that's that's my sick brain. It's a funny thing. It's a funny, you know, it's a weird and funny thing what we do. Yeah, keep the, your the, eyes Concentrate on yes. keeping your eyes up. Eyes up here. Eyes, eyes up, up here. here. Exactly. <laughs> You've got a new movie coming out, Reindeer Games, in which you star and produce. And I wrote it. And you wrote it? Yes. It's my writing debut. How yes. long did it take you to write and how long did it take you to sell it? So, okay. So I had just done another fun holiday rom-com um with lifetime with these uh two producers and, and a whole team director and actors that i loved and i got really inspired while i was shooting that movie to go home and come up with my own story just for fun like whether it was going to go anywhere or not it was just fun and and for me it was all it it was really it's become this tremendous artistic outlet for the in-between times, for the times when I'm at home and I'm not shooting something and I have like a big chunk of time. Um, this has been a new way to kind of take initiative and get to call my own shots and, and things like that. But so I came up with an outline for this story and I pitched it to my two producers from that movie a couple weeks, several weeks after we had wrapped on that. Um, and I was like, I was expecting, you know, we should probably hire a writer and write it. And they said, go buy final draft and write it yourself. You have such a clear image and picture of all the characters. Uh, you, I mean, I'd even written bits and pieces of dialogue in my pitch, but they're like, we see the world. It's so vibrant. Go get final draft and sit down and write it. And I wrote my first draft in three weeks. I'm so grateful to those women for inspiring me to do that and telling me to do it because I probably would have just passed it off and tried to hire someone else to write it. But it, it so that was the end of 2019. And then we started pitching it around. And then, of course, the COVID hit. Um, so nothing happened in 2020. But at the beginning of 2021, um, they had pitched it to Lifetime and Lifetime was excited to do it. And they wanted to do it as a, as part of a two picture deal with me for two different holiday movies um, this year and next year. And and so we were off to the races. I, I signed on to do this deal. And then when December hit last year, that's when we really started getting going with um, all the network notes on the script. And, and so those are always so fun. Time. <laughs> Those are seven. Is is directing next? Well, so I also have already directed. I directed a web series for Grey's Anatomy, my final year on the show. It was called Grey's Anatomy B Team, and it was actually nominated for an Emmy. So I got to go to the Emmys with that. It was a little six episode 
a web series. So each episode is like two, two and a half minutes long. It took us two days to shoot it. Uh, and then we did all the posts on it and everything. But yeah, that was a massive surprise. I was already off the show. I'd already said my goodbyes. And then um, I get this. I, I found out that it was nominated on a tweet. I didn't even <laughs> nobody called me. I was like, oh, wait, we got nominated. <laughs> like, huh? <laughs> yeah. So I, I hope to do more. I've been I was shadowing also on this movie that I just wrote and produced and starred in. And I shadowed on Amber Brown. Um, so I'm I am interested in directing more. Right now I'm I'm working on two other writing projects and I'm still in post for Reindeer Games. It's actually called Reindeer Games Homecoming. That was the title that they needed to have. Um so yeah, so I'm 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 more focused on that stuff right now, but I do want to I want to get back into directing for sure. Amber, the show Amber Brown is a huge hit. You are delightful. <laughs> and you know what? I know if if this is all evolution and you come back as an amoeba, you are going to be the most cheerful amoeba ever. <laughs> grateful just grateful to just be swimming around sort of, look at me i can self-replicate this is all good <laughs> sarah it has been such a pleasure oh thank you so much it's been such a pleasure to talk with you thank you for having me a media production